Hello, and welcome to PRISM. PRISM is a design-oriented podcast hosted by me, Dan Hardin. Like a glass prism that reveals the color hidden inside white light, this podcast will reveal the inside story behind innovation, especially the people that make it happen. My aim is to uncover each guest's unique point of view, their insights, their methods, or their own secret motivator, perhaps, that fuels their creative genius. Today, I have with me Dr. Lorraine Justice. Lorraine is currently serving as the Dean Emerita, and she's a professor of industrial design at the Rochester Institute of Technology. Lorraine is the author of two books, China's Design Revolution and The Future of Design, Global Product Innovation for a Complex World. She's also a fellow of the IDSA. Prior to joining academia, Lorraine worked as a designer for 13 years at companies including Battelle, CompuServe, and NCR. She also served as the Dean of the School of Design at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. She was able to take the school from relative obscurity to one of the top design schools in the world within less than four years. Lorraine has an international reputation as a design scholar and continues to serve as an advisor and reviewer of the top art and design schools in the world. Lorraine is also an active member of the TED community. She's given several talks, uh, TED talks, and even uh, TEDx talks in Hong Kong. Lorraine, it is such a pleasure. I've known you for a while, but uh, welcome, a huge welcome. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. So the reason I thought about you for PRISM is your extensive work in China and this idea of really digging down into culture, specifically designing for different cultures. I thought that would be a great topic for us. And it seems to me like with all the work that I've done cross-culturally and you, I thought this would be a really good, fun thing for us to talk about and really sort of unpack and have fun with. Oh, definitely. <laughs> what, well, what got you, how did you end up teaching in China? Well, I was at Georgia Tech and I felt like I had, you know, I had done a good job with that program. And, um, and then I got this call from, Hong Kong. Now, I had been in China prior to that, and I loved mainland China, but I had never been to Hong Kong. So I went there, interviewed for the job, and they offered it. And the next thing I know, I'm putting the American dream in storage. And my husband and daughter uh, came with me and uh, didn't look back. And so I was there for seven years and learned much, you know, when you go into another culture, you expect to learn about that culture. But I learned more about the West at the same time, like really how we are. And uh, it just became very clear. And plus, I was a minority there. And um, it was just fascinating. So what do you mean by you learn more about the West? Is it because you were able to see your own country and your own culture from afar? Yes, Absolutely. In fact, I, I noticed, well, there were always the, the business things like, uh, and I learned all this the hard way, you know, the, you don't sit at the head of the table. That's for the student intern. <laughs> the, the, it's the middle of the table that's important. But the thing I didn't know is the person who sits across from that person is sometimes supposed to pose an argument. Now, you know, in the West, we start almost every sentence out with I this, I that, I this. And it's 
it's not that way. It's more of a team effort over there for things. Now, every now and then someone will take credit. Maybe the CEO will. Um, but it's it's a more humble type of speaking. <clears throat> and so I kind of learned to temper my talk and maybe not be as, um, you know, Western rugged individualist mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. What about when it comes to design in as thoughtful a manner as you possibly can? Like what makes this culture tick and, and how can I as a designer like be respectful to that culture and bring forth some of the that heritage and depth of humanity that they often will expose more readily than we do here in the United States. But how can I represent that in design and 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 my solution uh, while at the same time producing design that's like as universally accepted as possible? Well, um, Dan, one of the things I learned uh, was we can't really take Western research methods and just move them into situations in China. And I was on one um, job where an American software company, large company, wanted to run a focus group in Hong Kong and wanted to get young people together to look at some software they were doing. So we did, and we quickly found out that the focus group, the the young kids in the focus group, they wouldn't talk in front of each other. They were too shy. So we separated the boys and the girls. They still would not talk in front of each other. So I kind of devised a bring your friend research method where I invited someone to do design research and ask them to bring a friend they felt comfortable with. And then they would sit and and talk about what we were looking at the software and argue if they needed to. And I got a much richer amount of data. So the lesson was make sure your setting is correct. Make sure that you understand those, those customs. And it's not about necessarily a dialect or a language thing. It's more about a behavioral vernacular and how you how you first have to understand where they're coming from, get inside of their minds first so that you can find the richest information. Because you're really, when you're doing the research, you're mining for understanding and insight. And if you're not even able to get through that first layer, you can't expect to get anywhere with your research. Right. And even, even if you got some responses they may not be very good or they may not be valid. Sometimes people would say things um, just to think they're pleasing or saying the right thing. My ideas of what even good design was did not necessarily apply to other cultures. I remember doing a project for uh, Richard Lee, who's Lee Kai Kai Sheng's son. Mm-hmm. And he owned a satellite company in China, and he asked us to design. This is back when I was at Frog Design, and mm-hmm. um, he asked us to design satellite phones for him. So, you know, me and my team, we designed what we mm-hmm. thought were really cool solutions, and we took them over to present. We laid them out on a table. We were all sort of cocky and proud of what we had done. And he's sort of, he didn't say anything. He's looking. I presented the first one, the second one, third one, still no reaction. 
I get to the fourth one. He's like, are you done? I'm like, oh, <laughs> excuse me. I'm okay. I could be. I think I am. <laughs> so he said, okay, that one has negative darts. That one has terrible feng shui. That one looks like a Buddha's grave. Um, I was stunned. I, oh I shut up. I, I humbled myself and my team immediately. And I'm like, tell us more. Yeah. We ended up apologizing and redesigning everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put us on a train and sent us up into mainland. And that was one of my very first lessons in cross-cultural design is you have to, especially as a Westerner, just shut up yeah. and observe. More recently, um, our team had to solve problems for directly for the Indian market. And mm. we found... Without rushing over there with like solutions, <laughs> yeah. we spent we spent months just researching family life, uh, home life. Wow. Uh, what what does it mean to uh, consume information, share information? It was related to a television for a very large um, corporation, and I'm telling you, we just we just learned so much from just being with the problem, just listening. In your experience, when you were even teaching in China, how how were you able to step back the way that I had to learn to? Like, what were your experiences in this regards? Like really getting to the heart of a problem? Well, you just had to really wade into who, who were you working for and what about that culture could affect that product? I remember um, I hired Marty Smith from Art Center, mm-hmm. and he was, you know, he was one of their better studio professors, and and I believe that's what we needed. So the Hong Kong students took to it, and they realized uh, they needed to think differently. So did you feel like, when it came to design at least, did you feel like their own cultures were were limiting their expression as creatives? Yes. And I know a lot of people will fault me for saying that, but um, I witnessed it firsthand. They were kind of in at a standstill for creativity and the opportunity to create uh, on a mass scale that is, was just all new. Yeah. I find this fascinating, This this topic of like, individualism being uh, kind of a precursor to creativity. It's like, what is this? You know, as humans, we, our creativity does stem from within. It's influenced by a lot of things, things that happen in your life, uh, your own views on the world, uh, your own perceptions and the way that you process the world and how it then turns into new combinations and um, compositions that end up being a design. Now, did you feel like they could somehow reconcile with thinking as a group? Um, where the individualism in that culture would have um, come out a lot is if a designer was doing a particular product, like a piece of jewelry or, um, uh, you know, more artistic, expressive furniture, you know, those types of things. But if they were in a corporation, it was the team think that, 
was important. Mm -hmm. I learned in the West, we are, you know, we're like the straight shot. Once we have an idea, we're going to build it. And, you know, but in Asia, there seems to be more of an incremental type of innovation. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it is. I'm seeing, you know, a lot of, especially corporate groups, design groups, they, mm-hmm. they are much more process-oriented. Um, they take a little bit more time. Um, it's more of a team think, I guess you could call it. Um, I see that with a lot of our Asian clients. Um, they will be very thorough as a result. Uh, they don't let egos get in quite as much of a quagmire as they can in the West. Yeah, and you know, it's not like they may not have feelings of, jealousy or wanting to do more, whatever. It's that in a business setting, they they curb that. They, you know, it's much more than someone does in the West. So this leads me to this concept of universalism versus particularism. Mm -hmm. And universalism being more thinking about, you know, the universal good versus a a a particular culture in the case of our topic uh, being very specific to a culture and help. What is What is your view on that? Especially when it comes to culture. Yeah. Well, you know, there are different schools of thought, um, especially in design where we have to help preserve the culture. And I think that people need to err on the side of, well, especially now since climate change and pandemic, they need to err a bit more on universal universal good. Yeah, I think as designers, it's our duty to really protect the planet and be sustainable. And But also aesthetically, if there's a way to preserve uh, the culture, whether it's from the form or the shape or the, I mean, the color or texture or whatever, I would agree. And then there are other companies like, well, Apple comes to mind where they are the true universalists, right? You see mm-hmm. people in the Middle East, Asia, in the West, Europe, et cetera, very happy with their iPhones and <laughs> and notebooks. They seem to have done a good job. And so, so of companies like Samsung and oh, you know, a lot of the car companies are, I think, are have done a really good job at at producing like a universal earth idea mm-hmm. of what what good design is and yet it somehow also makes me a little sad because you know in the beginning of my career i i've very distinctly noticed the difference between japanese design german design italian design mm-hmm. and lousy american design <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh boy yeah yeah and um, you know, it made me chuckle sometimes and maybe very mm-hmm. frustrated, of course, as well. But I loved those differences. I, I liked seeing those very expressive Italian designs that, that made you feel alive, um, made you smile sometimes. But then I also loved that Teutonic rightness about mm-hmm. German design. And as a designer, I think you have to really think which of these approaches makes the most sense for your particular problem. Dan, down the road, I'm hoping, uh, you know, our 3D printing and 
technologies that we can personalize our products a little bit more. And I think uh, we may get more products stateside. Uh, oh, yeah. That's another whole podcast right there. <laughs> like, can, can we do it? Um, mm. You know, we have been trying to convince some of our clients to produce stateside if they yeah, can. And, right. and after you go through a complete analysis, the fundamentals are usually not there. Right. You know, whether it comes to an you know, extended supply chain and, and management of parts, uh, procurement of, of very specific pieces and parts, it, you know, just a few parts can throw the whole thing out of whack. If, if, if the primary part has to ultimately come from Asia, then you might as well build it there, you know, in some cases. so Right. And I, I don't know that labor, you know, labor has gone up over there. And I talked to some uh, Chinese businessmen who actually moved some of their business to Vietnam and Cambodia uh, because it was cheaper to build there. So, yeah. So what I'm seeing is just a little bit of loss of culture and mm-hmm. product design specifically. But also, I don't always like or appreciate that we that we do fall into a stereotype of like, big clunky design, you know, like, (laughs) sorry, I don't want a a big pickup truck or a Hummer. Sorry, as an American, (laughs) I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum. Okay. But there is a very distinct culture in this country. It's very multifaceted, but it's very distinct. Yeah. It's a lot of its personal preference, but um, I think that was a, you know, direct cultural aspect. I think there's a lot of dichotomy of cultures that we need to understand as designers. For example, cultures that are more emotional, like like Italy, like India, like the United States, versus cultures that are more neutral, like Japan, parts of the Middle East, Switzerland. You know, these countries come to mind, these cultures. Yeah. And I think you just have to be understanding of where, where they where they are in that in that spectrum and design accordingly because well look at you know I was talking about Italian design being very rich and emotional well it fits their culture yes right they can't help but be that way and I didn't realize it but the Indian culture is very similar to Italy they're like mm-hmm. the Italy of Asia yes and very much so yeah and then there's a, another dichotomy it's like whether or not a culture is sort of internally directed, if you will, you know, a lot of this individualism we're talking about in the United States versus being more outer directed or being influenced very much by the society, you know, you might call it uh, communitarianism. And and that's what you, that's what you witnessed in China. And it's, it's sometimes because of that, of course, you need to design for that understanding that your design does not need to, like, especially in China, and I'm curious how you feel about this, but does not need to scream. It needs to suggest. And having that kind of subtlety is, um, it's just important to understand before you go about even, even solving the problem. Yeah. It's, and you know, when I think of China, when Mao took over and they were manufacturing all types of product, the government, was manufacturing all types of products. And they often had the star on there or some other um, emblem. And the Soviet Union doing the same thing. 
And so those folks went from designing for the government um, then to designing for the world. And so, you know, there, there's been a big change in a short number of years. So where do you see, especially because you spent so much time in China, where do you see this going? I mean, we've seen a trajectory. It seems to have exploded, right? Just the interest in design mm-hmm. and the amount of money they put into the industry. Mm-hmm. Where Where is China going to be in 10 years and even maybe 25 years in regards to design? Well, first of all, they've already got uh, a jump on having some great design schools, you know, before they were all in the West, Europe, the U.S. Now they're building their own design schools there, and they're very good. And their students are, um, I want to say, world-class. Just, um, you know, so the education will be up to par in 10 years where people from Europe and the West may want to study in China because the new technologies are there. That That's a little bit of that's happening now. But I also think they will continue with technology that we can't even conceive of. Yeah, you're right. That's what fascinates me about this whole discussion about culture is they tend to morph. Things change. It's, 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 it's a constant changing field of you know, people people trying things, discovering new things, and and the culture begins to take on a, a different color in a way. I think it's important to become more aware of these cultural differences, and you know, see if it it helps or hinders the design of a product or service, and and the creativity, and just to kind of become sensitive to. The differences. You know, the other the other thing, what you just said about thinking about all these different aspects of culture and how it should influence you as a designer. I think even if you're designing something for your own culture, mm-hmm. it does help to really investigate and explore others so that you can understand your own better. And so that you can be just a lot more, like you said, aware of what you're yeah. what you're solving for, who you're solving for, and why. And I think it makes your design more complete. I've I've always been fascinated by this whole notion of like designing for culture within your own culture and even outside of your own culture. There's something very uh, designy about about culture, and uh, it's, it's always been an element that I think designers um, can benefit from from practicing in and around. We should steep ourselves in culture if we if we plan to advance it. Absolutely, uh, yeah. I think designers have a big job ahead of them. They have a sensitive job ahead of them, but they're they're up to it. I I believe the and this is worldwide. I still look to our designers to make the world a better place. I do too. I think there's so much thoughtfulness and compassion that industrial designers kind of instinctively feel. And the way that they go about their work that I, I think worldwide cultures and groups of designers that are thinking broadly about what all these problems are that we're being faced with are certainly part of the equation of solving a lot of these big, big problems. Yeah, definitely. All right, Lorraine, it's just been a blast talking to you. I can't thank you enough. 
And my I, pleasure. I can't wait to see what you do next. Let's keep design, <laughs> designing and solving problems for the world and being respectful <laughs> of all these different cultures. Mm-hmm. Take care, Lorraine. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Prism. Follow us on whipsaw.com or your favorite streaming platform. And we'll be back with more thought-provoking episodes soon. Prism is hosted by Dan Harden, Principal Designer and CEO of Whipsaw. Produced by Gabrielle Whelan and Isabella Glenn. Mix and sound design by Eric Buell.